This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome everyone to another edition of Spits and Suds postgame edition number six. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan, joined by EP Rinkside, Shap Shots, D Magazine, and his new book is titled We Win Here. It's about the Texas Stars and some of the players that are now on the Dallas Stars. He's Sean Shapiro. Happy Mother's Day, Sean. And uh, I wanted to start off with a positive. Yes. <laughs> it, is, it, is, uh, it, is, it is Mother's Day weekend. Uh, thank you to all the moms out there. And uh, it's, uh, it's funny. It's how the timing of this worked. I mean, technology is great because I, I actually able, actually watched the game on a slide. I watched the third period live. Um, I watched the, I ended up catching up, uh, watching the game, DVR in the game and then, uh, fast forwarding through intermissions to catch up live because, uh, had a nice, uh, mother's day, uh, mother's day weekend dinner planned before the game time was ever set for all of this. So I blame the NHL for, uh, not setting game times earlier for, for all that planning. But, uh, so yeah, happy mother's day to everyone out there. And, uh, it's, uh, that's positive. <laughs> you know, I, I probably, as a good teammate, I should have just said, as you, you know, because I knew you were having to fast forward, and I should have just said, first period, two shots. I should have just <laughs> said that, and then you could have just fast forward yeah. to the intermission. Yeah, I could have. Uh, I was really good about not checking Twitter or any updates or anything. Just uh, then uh, you would have saved me a lot of time in the first period. And even, <laughs> and even, and honestly, even, even the, uh, even the shot that went in the net, the uh, wasn't really. It was a bit of a wonky one, anyway. So yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's let's start with the first period because I yeah. think it starts from there. And if you've heard Sean and I talk on podcasts, one of our frustrations is, and I think Sean, you said it's been the same way over three coaches in five or six years. I, the reality is, is it's a roller coaster ride as far as which Dallas Stars team is going to show up to start the game and as we've also mentioned here seattle is one is known for their quick starts their legs their freshness their energy out of the box that third line which proved to be dominant tonight and i just took a step back and i said the following it's a game six elimination game i don't know how you start like that i don't know how you don't and and I understand sometimes teams can dominate others, but that's when the physical play should enter the throw in the hit, the, the causing traffic in front of Grubauer, just some kind of commotion to rile up your team. And I just felt as though, and I don't want to diminish any of the players on this team because I don't want to make it personal, but I just felt like, you know, how do you not have those legs? How do you not have that jump? How do you not have that closeout mentality? Or even if it goes to a game seven, you know what? You worked your butt off to try to finish this thing in six. Yeah, it's, I mean, 
I, you didn't learn it. Like it's, it's, and I, I know, I know that the, the stars team won't be like, it's been, it's kind of a fun storyline of, Hey, this is following the narrative of the Minnesota series, but like Minnesota game six, like Minnesota was ready to go. Minnesota was, that was a team that was, you saw that you kind of knew that they could potentially not quit on themselves, but basically you could, they were ready to be pushed out. This Seattle team you knew was going to bring it. You knew that. And you hit on it perfectly there, Gavin. It's you knew that Seattle was going to bring it. You knew that they were going to, that they were, that this was going to be the start they were going to have. And you didn't match it. You didn't even come close to it. Like it was, it was a, it was just, it's, it's something where it's, this isn't a surprise. Like that, that's the part to me. That's like the whole thing where it's like, and I don't know whether, I don't know whether it's something you need more of a rah-rah speech in the locker room or you need someone to go hit some, whatever it is. Like you knew this was coming. You knew this is what Seattle was going to bring. And all, the, the biggest question was going to be what Dallas team showed up and, and this is what you brought. And it's, it's, it's an embarrassing start to a game. It really is. Yeah. It's just, that's really all you can sum it up with that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, Pete DeBoer being uh, interviewed on television basically said that, um, so let's start with the focus, Jake Ottinger, um, and his play tonight and get your thoughts. Yeah. Um, I thought, uh, obviously it's not his fault. The stars decided not to show up in the, in the first period. Um, there's only so much a goalie can do, but at the same time, I was not pleased with his performance. We he wants to really build this reputation as the closeout big game goalie, and there's so many little. There's some spots where, when the team was falling apart, you could have gotten the save. Um, even like so, the the Yanni Gord goal. Obviously, it's a really pretty piece of skill and piece of play and everything like that, but. but it's a play where Ottinger goes very immobile and very stagnant. And just, I'd like to see him make the save there. And that is, uh, I, I don't like, I don't like that one. Um, the second and the, the fourth goal, which got him pulled was clearly, it was a backbreaking goal where um, he has to make that save. I, I, I look at Ottinger's performance tonight where, Overall, in this series, he's looked more human. Um, the and tonight was not was not a good performance. Tonight was not the game where you claim you want to be one of the best goalies in the world. This is not that game, and this was the night you needed it. When 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 the rest of the stars were struggling in the first period, you need that save. You need that guy to step up, and I. Uh, I wasn't, it was kind of, uh, I was kind of surprised that they went with the hook after the fourth goal. Not that it was a, not that it was the wrong decision, but right. I was just kind of surprised that they went with the hook because at that point, it's still, these playoffs have been crazy. Teams can score goals. We obviously saw Dallas scored some goals later and everything like that. So I was a little bit surprised they did it because, um, it just, it, it goes kind of against the trend of, the game was at least still there for the 
taking in theory. Like I'd, I'd like if you wanted to believe it as a coach. Um, so a little bit surprised they pulled him when they did, but I also don't disagree with it because he was, he was not there. To, he was not there tonight. He did not have his game. And um, that's disappointing too. You just add to the whole entire team start. You add to the entire team, what Seattle brought, but then um, you needed, this was a moment where Ottinger could have stepped up and, um, smooth that over and he did not. Yeah. Uh, Mike Kelly, NHL one day, uh, ago on Twitter, the Dallas stars have 48 shots on net at the time inner slot where 53% of goals have been scored in playoffs in the second round. Most of any team, the Kraken have 18 fewest of any team, big reason Dallas has a three, two lead. And I thought tonight, you know, the Kraken just went straight down the middle. Um, yep. and came at Dallas. And I think that was one of the keys to the game for the first time really in this series. I felt as though, you know, the Kraken were more effective in the middle of the ice. 100%, 100%. That was, uh, it, it, they were, Seattle got to the, to the best areas of the ice. They got to the shot location. If you take a look at the, uh, if you if you kind of if you went and tracked and and I didn't do it, but if you went and, and plotted out where shots came from, pretty distinct area that Seattle owned those hard areas, that home plate area they call it. Um, and Dallas just Dallas didn't do it, and it's, um, I mean, for the if you're the Kraken, you're feeling great going into Game Seven, and yeah. if you're Dallas, you're the one who's having a real long, hard look in the mirror uh, on the flight home tonight. Yeah, especially with the Kraken going into Colorado and finishing off that series, Game 7 in Colorado and knocking out the Stanley Cup champs. And I know you can say Cogliano was out, uh, Nachuskin wasn't playing, Landeskog was out, um, Manson was out. So, yeah, it was a banged-up Avs team. But at the same time, when you take the Cup champs out on their home ice – that's a huge confidence builder. So I agree with you. Uh, Seattle has a lot of confidence going into game seven on Monday night. So Sean, I want to talk about the Hockenpah Lindell yeah. pairing and yeah. how rough it was tonight. Two of the goals were line changes. And that frustrates me because, um, mm -hmm. you know, just, just bad turnovers, bad passes and two part question. I want, I, did you get a chance to analyze that? You know, I thought they might, I thought DeBoer actually might make some defensive pairing changes in the third period. And that's the follow up. I think, you know, if you're, I think you have to put Colin Miller in for Hockenpah somehow. And if that means switching up the defensive pairings, I get it. But I think Colin Miller has to play in game seven. I think, yeah. I think, I think performance. No, there. It's Game Seven. Your season is on the line. There are no sacred cows. You, Yanni Hockenpah is. Uh, you you can't play. You you can't have him back in for Game Seven. You have to go. You have to bring Colin Miller back in. Um, because, I mean, Lindell was what minus four. Hockenpah's minus three. They're minus minus seven combined in a game where. As, as bad as as much as the rest of the stars weren't great, like Thomas Harley won his kind of won his time on the ice. Joel Hanley stars outscored Seattle when Joel Hanley was on the ice. Miro yeah. Michigan was even like, like this is a game that ends up being six, three. And 
it's obviously there's there's you can't put every single thing on them, but Lindell and Hockenpah, like they were the like they got up they they got on the ice and um Dave Haxtell's probably licking like licking his chops, yeah. like sending his guys over at that point. Like, oh yeah, they got those guys out there, we're gonna go at them. Like they they looked slow, they looked lost out there, and um I don't see how you can consciously say that that pairing that you can have that pairing and that you can go into game seven with Yanni Hockenpah in the lineup. You just, you just yeah. can't, you, you, yeah. you, you can't do it. It's, it's the season is on the line. You have to make a change on that. And that's, that's just the reality of it. Like we can, you can discuss and we can debate what pairings you go with when Hawk and Paw goes out or whatever, but like, like you, you gotta, you gotta make a change. Well, I, I agree because he looks slow and he's not using his physicality. So, Correct. Uh, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Okay. So I love to ask your expertise on these things and I've seen it the last few games and it kind of frustrates me. And is it normal to see specifically Essa Lindell a couple of times? I know Hanley um, did it a couple games ago where stars defensemen are trying to make saves. And like on one of the goals, Lindell was right in front of Ottinger and he's sticking his leg out. How distracting that. I mean, you're a former netminder. Yeah. How distracting is that? And is that their job? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an interesting space, right? Like I don't, you don't not, you don't not want a guy to make a desperation play like that if he has to, but Lindell too often puts himself in that spot to make that play. Like, like if, if, if there's a collapsing play and a rebound and whatever, like, and, and then you have to do something like that. Okay. That's fine. That, that's fine. But too often we see, um, Lindell, I think Lindell collapses in the zone and almost collapses in on his own goalie sometimes. And you don't have goalie, pa- <laughs> you don't have goalie pads on. Don't like, you don't need to be doing that. Like yeah. I, I don't want him as it, it really comes from a positioning thing. If he's collapsing so deep in on his own net where he's putting himself in that spot, um, very inorganically. And I don't like it. Um, and it's, for it's it's a bad habit that i think wasn't as far as lindell's game goes um it's it's something that used to be honestly a little bit more prevalent a couple years back under the uh uh, i believe it was under the i think it was under ken hitchcock I believe I, I gotta, I gotta make sure I might, the stars have had so many coaches. It's kind of comical, but like under, like under Ken Hitchcock's coaching, like he was, uh, I believe he was not encouraged to do it, but he wasn't dissuaded from it. And so that bad habit really picked up in that season. And there's been some work from various coaches to kind of coach that out of him. But sometimes when you're feeling slow and the other team is bringing speed at you, you, start to go to bad habits. And I think we've seen that with Lindell. Like I, I don't, you don't need Jake Ottinger's wearing the pads. You don't need to, you don't need to be the goal. Right. And, and um, I, um, 
Yeah, that's that that that's that's a space with Lindell where it's interesting to see because it's it's a bad habit from four or five years ago, and it's to see it kind of resurface in this playoff series is a bit alarming, and maybe just a I'm not sure if it's a side effect of the speed that Seattle's bringing, and he's getting kind of feeling gassed by it, or or something else, but. Either way, it's it's I don't I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so over exaggerating by a deterioration in his overall game for Lindell, or yeah, no. I, and I mean, yeah. I, I I I think you have a great eye on this. Yeah. I I think the contract is a bit expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought a lot in this series. Would I rather have? an Essa Lindell at over 6 million or a Jamie Alexiak at 4.65. Um, you know, it's just my thoughts and yeah. hindsight 2020 and I get it. And uh, I, I just, I just, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I would like to see him um, play better. And uh, I, I'm just, I, I'm not seeing it. I, I think it was a decent season, but um, you know, it, it might just be me and my frustrations. Yeah, I, I look at kind of, I think, I think we're seeing Esselindel and, and the contract is not aged well, but I also think we're seeing a bit of the, um, I think that contract was kind of given out when there was, we were still getting caught up in, we were still misreading agent curves, I think, or not misreading mm-hmm. them, but like as they were changing, like, like S I believe got that contract before his 25, um, before his 25 year old season. And I, I thought S Lindell was very good as a, he had, as a 23, 24, even 25 year old NHL defenseman. But many times we've learned and proven that, for many players now, like we talk about Joe Pavelski all the time, we give him credit for breaking the aging curve, but the, the norm for an NHL player right now is I think your prime seasons are now the 24, 23, 25 seasons. And um, now the truly elite players break that and, and, and do that. But for the normal player and Essel and is a normal player where we've moved into the, the spot where, aging is starting to come into effect and it's, and it's not that, and it's not that aging is coming into an effect where like, it's not like he's not in great shape and he can't play in the NHL for, for, for four or five, six more years longer. Just it's players continue to come in as younger, faster, quicker. Right. And so it's becomes the space where your prime, I think, I think kind of the prime window is we've already moved out of it with Essel and Dell. And, um, and I, th- I think we're starting to see, I think this is kind of who he'll be for the next three, four seasons, but I don't think he's going to be the guy he was during the 2019, 20 season before the stoppage. I don't think he's going to be the guy he was in 2018, 19 when he had 32 points in 82 games and he was pretty solid all over the place. I think this is, kind of what he is now and unfortunately it's the con it's hard to not isolate the player from the contract this is kind of what he is i mean there was a time there was a time gavin where in the nhl almost and i still think there's a ton who would do it but there's a time where 
30, 30 other NHL GMs will be knocking down Jim's Jim Nils door to trade for Esselindo. Yep. That's that, that's where his reputation was at. I would argue now maybe that list is 15 NHL GMs. Okay. 16, but like I like I think that's kind of the best way to look at it. Where yeah. the people who are the decision makers and how they look at who he is, like I think that's kind of where where it's where he's gone in, in his career now. And that's why Thomas Harley is the star's second best defenseman. One of the reasons Thomas Harley give Thomas Harley credit for what he's done, but also it's one of the re- his surroundings and the other defensemen around who have been aging. It's one of the reasons Thomas Harley is now the star's second best defenseman in my humble opinion. That's great analysis. He's Sean Shapiro. I'm Gavin Spittle. It's Spitz and Suds post game game number six on one Oh five, three, the fans. So, I, I guess if you're going to slow down Seattle in game seven, you have to look at that third line of Tolvanen, Gord, and Bjorkstrand. They've been the most consistent line for Seattle. Yeah. And just their aggressiveness and, you know, their, candidly, their scoring ability. It's just, it, it truly is a fun line to watch. I know we're we're rooting on the stars and we want the stars to win. But I mean, I think, you know, we, we mentioned NHL GMs. I think there's a lot of GMs that would love that, that third line on their team. I mean, we're, I'm going to say it again, how I don't know how Tolvin had made it that far up on the waiver wire. Amazing. Seattle. Like I still don't get how he made it that far up on the waiver wire. We saw the, um, like for the consist the consistency may not have been there when he was in the Nashville or whatever, but the, the like the goal tonight the shot right we knew that he had that shot everyone in the league knew he had that shot like that's not a shot that like that's 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 not a shot where someone knocks on your door and says hey would you like this for free where you where you sit where, where you say nah we'll be good like that's like i still don't i still don't get how he cleared that far up the waiver list to make it to seattle at the time when it happened um but i mean they were i think to me, um, Tolvanen's name obviously gets, I think, a little bit more pop because of the combination of some Nashville fans frustratingly watching him with his first-round pick status from before and Gord, obviously. But, I mean, I, I think it's it's good to highlight Bjorkstrand, too, because he is – he, I mean, he really is an underrated piece of that line, too, just yep. in the way he helps drive possession and kind of helps create and everything like that. It's – uh it's a good, uh, I mean, that you talk about a, a line that made the stars look slow. That's, that's one of the, the key, uh, components of it right there. Yeah. Also want to, uh, give credit to, uh, Kraken top prospect, Ty Cartier. Um, I mean, I understand Ottinger should have stopped that shot, but that was a nice shot too. It was, um, I mean, Cartier is an interesting case of, yeah. uh, He's he's an interesting case of you talk about calling up the right player for the right role, right? Because like Cartier was he actually won the AHL Rookie of the Year award this year, and um, I don't know how many NHL, but he won. He was the AHL Rookie of the Year, and they had the injury when McCann got hurt, and they called him up and they put him on the first line, and they've kept him on the first line because if he's gonna play he needs to be on the first line. And it's, it's a philosophy of call-ups that I really want to uh, applaud Seattle for, because I think too often, and the stars are, are a big victim of this too often, a team will have injuries and everything like that. And 
will go like when when the stars and and not that Tyler Sagan shouldn't have moved up to the first line when Joe Pavelski got hurt, but for the stars there was no other option than let's move one guy up and then replace move somebody up and then replace on the fourth line, right? That's that's the typical team philosophy on things. The stars never really thought about like okay maybe we call up a Maverick Bork to play and just plug him right into a first line role right away because Maverick Bork. On a, on a quick aside, Maverick Borg will never be a bottom six player in the NHL. If you put him in a bottom six role in the NHL, he's going to fail. So the stars, if when he, when he, whenever he makes the NHL, he will have to be the top six role. I love from a hockey perspective and a prospect management perspective. I love how Seattle, Seattle handled the Cartier recall where this guy needs to be in a top line role. He needs to be in a top six role. If he's going to be on this team, that's what they're going to do. They have stuck with that and they have been well rewarded for it and give Seattle credit for not going with the philosophy of like, okay, we'll move one of our third or fourth line guys up and then we'll call up a, another fourth liner. They said, okay, we got a guy who's playing first line minutes, understands the responsibility of that. Yes, it's the AHL, but the AHL is the second best league in the world. Let's give it a, a gun. Give it a run. Let's do it. So, I like what they did with Cartier and obviously, but Ottinger needs to make that save, but it does yeah. give us a chance to applaud just that's smart team and asset management by Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, oh, to be fair, to be yeah. fair, real quick, real quick, just to give the stars a slight credit. They basically did the same thing with Thomas Harley. So to, to give the stars credit on Thomas Harley, the stars have allowed Thomas Harley basically to the same thing with Thomas Harley, where instead of going by the, Oh, well we have to play, Joel Hanley over him. We have to play Nils Lundqvist over him. They, they, they did do the right thing with Thomas Hurley. So just while I'm giving Seattle credit, just a quick s- step back into the pool quickly to say the stars did do the right thing with Thomas Harley. Just to be fair to all sides here. <laughs> uh, yeah. But before I forget, and we're about to go to your Twitter questions, uh, as you can imagine, Sean, it lit up tonight with mm-hmm. uh, questions. I did say questions and frustrations because Um, I know there were a lot of frustrations and I thought, you know, we could be counselors tonight. Um, I'm frustrated too. So before we get to um, our Twitter questions and frustrations, one of the things that has been brought to uh, attention to a lot of us is what will the TV ratings be with markets like Florida, Carolina, Edmonton, Vegas, Dallas, Seattle, and while I understand the TV ratings will be up if an original six market or historic markets like Pittsburgh were, were involved or maybe, uh, you know, the devils because of the proximity to New York, let's use those as examples. My point is, is that for these markets like the Florida Panthers, I think this is a really good thing for the heartbeat of that franchise in that area to draw attention, to attract season ticket holders, to create some buzz in that Fort Lauderdale area. And Seattle, what Vegas did on their initial run was amazing. Seattle going on their run, granted, it's already popular, but at the same time, you are setting the foundation for this fan base, similar to what the Dallas Stars did when they came here and made their cup run. So I wanted to get your thoughts on those. Yeah, Gavin, I agree with you on this. Like, 
hockey is in a better spot because the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes are in the Eastern Conference Final. It's in a better spot that because Vegas and Seattle are growing the game. It's in a better spot because Dallas is is continuing to grow the sport. It's I know like I know TV ratings slightly matter, but the fact that the is at the end of the day even if you wanted to like cherry pick the narrative and be like, Oh, well, this is going to hurt hockey related revenue. Like there was a pretty viral tweet today from Andrew Raycroft going over about like how the, uh, the, Oh, it's bad for the salary cap future for Carolina. Like it's negligible, honestly. Like I, I, I like it's completely negligible. You're talking about a billion dollar business. And the fact that if a home game, if you're making, I don't know, 5 million for a game in Toronto versus 4 million for a game in Florida or whatever the exact number is. If, if that's the difference between the salary cap going up or down, we're in the wrong business because this is the, this, this, this is not small potatoes. This is, right. this is, this, so I, so many narrative, like, and if you want to cherry pick narratives, we can easily cherry pick narratives. You know what? Seattle's a top 10 revenue team in the league. Dallas is one of the top 10 leagues in the teams in the league as far as corporate sponsorship goes. You talk about spaces where teams you want in the, uh, like you see it. I mean, Gavin, you know this, you work at a radio station in, in, in the Dallas area. You know how many corporate sponsors and how many corporate headquarters are just in yep. Dallas and want to spend money. Like it's, it's the NHL wants those people to see their local team get ready to cash some checks. So it's, it's pretty it's the the whole hate on this final four is very uh it's it's, it's kind of hilarious on all of this so yeah i i, I, I well the other thing it does is it opens up players that normally people wouldn't be able to see like a sebastian ajo let's just give that example in carolina yeah. Um, just just really, really good players that might not get the notoriety that they uh, they deserve. We all know about McDavid, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, candidly, maybe people don't um, realize Mark Stone and how good he's been in the NHL. Um, OK, let's get to questions, comments. Um, Fuzzy says, oh, there's frustration. I'm just going to let it slide. We totally <laughs> get it. <laughs> Melissa Lauren uh, Spittle. Why did so many fans want us to play the Kraken when the Avs had half of their farm team playing? So I say to you, Shapiro, <laughs> we both wanted the Kraken. I, I just don't want to face a Stanley Cup team. Granted, they were banged up, but I just I thought matchup wise, looking at the regular season, I just thought the matchup was better against Seattle. I didn't like that speed going up against Dallas. So that's why I went with uh, the Kraken. And I mean, kudos to them. Well, so yeah, we, if the stars lose game seven to the Kraken on Monday night, we were wrong. You, you shouldn't have wanted Seattle okay. now the, but you still get game seven at home on Monday night. If you're playing Colorado, that's not the case. You're not getting game seven at home. Um, Colorado, we didn't know. I mean, we knew there were injuries and everything like that, but we also didn't know that Valdichushkin probably wouldn't have been back at all. We didn't know that this was going to be the case. I mean, so I don't have any issue with wanting to play the team that didn't have the star power. I didn't have any issue with that. I mean, I think really the end of the day is we all 
need to give Seattle some more credit for everything. And I think that's fine. I think we've, we've done a good job of doing that on this podcast and in general, but either way, it's, (laughs) you would have had a tough series either way. And maybe you made the wrong choice, but I didn't want to pick Colorado. I didn't want to pick Kale McCarr. I didn't want to pick that. I was, and you, you go and win game seven tomorrow night or sorry, Monday night now. I'm so used to us doing this like after. Yeah. Midnight. So yeah, it's like, totally. it's yeah. like, uh, you, you go win this, you go win it Monday night and you'll have made the right choice. You had home ice in game seven. So go take care of a business that way. Austin Ashby says a bit of both frustrations and questions since it looked like the team, one team uh, didn't want to go home and the other was saying, come on, just go away already. And they didn't. I have faith in the home cooking in game seven though. All right. Good to hear from you, Austin. Thank you so much for your support of Spits and Suds. Vince Moncier, since it's hockey, we will say it's Moncier. Why do we continue to play Hockenpah? He continues to cost us. Same for Lindell, but he has potential to turn it around with another line mate. We need to play Nils Lundquist. There's a forgotten name. Uh, I personally feel as though you got to go with the experience in Colin Miller when it comes to a game seven. Uh, so uh, I think, Sean, you agree on that. Yeah, I mean, when it was the... Nils Lundqvist last played a hockey game. I think it was late March. Yeah, like it's been, let's see, let's get the exact one. I mean, he last played a game March 25th. Like, is it really, <laughs> if, if, if he was to be dressed for this game and into play in game seven, we know it would be basically them playing just five defensemen anyway, because they're not going to, like he hasn't played a game. Like, I honestly... This is just it. It's it's kind of kind of sucks because they spent the they spent the first round capital on it and it makes it feel difficult. But like Gavin, I'd feel more confident calling up someone from the Texas Stars than Nils Lundqvist right now. And yeah. There's nothing against Nils's game. It's just I don't trust any player to go from having not played for eight weeks to having to save my season in Game Seven no matter who they are like I yeah. would. So yeah. I would, I would, I would, I would look down to the Texas stars before recalling Nils playing Nils Lundquist. So. I mean, I don't know if this is a good example, Sean, but this is like not driving for a while. And then someone puts you on the Audubon and says, go. Yes, exactly. I, no, I mean, it's a great way to look at it. Yeah. The playoffs are so yeah. ramped up compared to the regular season. Yeah. Uh, Tim Ciesco. Good to hear from you, Tim. Tim is the media relations director to, uh, for Arlington uh, PD. So oh. shout out to uh, Tim and shout out to all our first responders. Uh, is Lindell becoming a liability? I think liability is strong. I feel uh, I'm on that case with you. And we talked about it, Tim, yeah. but uh, I do think that, yeah, he certainly struggled and has not had the best of series. Um, but I, we, we both feel as though if it's, you know, you got to take out one, you have to take out Hawk and pop. Yeah. And I think it's, it's something where Lindell, like to kind of follow up on our commentary earlier on him where He's someone who I don't think he can just carry any partner anymore. And I, I think that's that's the that's the space where he needs to be with someone who can skate more. He can't be with he can't be with so he's declined, but I think he's still salvageable in the right setting. I just think playing with Yanni Hockenpa is not the right setting. And I think even Colin Miller coming in, Colin Miller at least can skate well. I think that's at least a better better fit. So um, but liability is a bit of a strong word. He was definitely a liability in tonight's game, but I think in general, it's a strong, it's over, it's a bit of a strong terminology. 
We are answering your Twitter questions and taking in your feedback after uh, game seven, six, sorry. No, nope, <laughs> don't get ahead of myself. A game six defeat, game seven on Monday night. Uh, Matthew Martin asks, guys, over half the time I see Hakampa and Lindell on the ice for goals against, why? Now, I'll say this, and this is what I love about this podcast, and this is what gets me excited, is the number of tweets coming in for Lindell and Hakampa means that the stars fan base is well educated like I, yeah. you know I, you know what i'm saying sean it's like yeah. I, I i love the fact and I, trust me i hate that it happens but i love the fact that stars fans can key on those too because if you watch the broadcast they really didn't talk about that too much no they didn't i mean that's that's a really good point now um yeah it's the broadcast, and that's that's another side <laughs> too. Where the that's broad- a can of worms, right? The, the, the broadcast felt very. Uh, I don't know. The broadcast tonight um, felt very Seattleish, very Seattleesque. Yeah. Um, so, but it's but yes, kudos to the Stars fans because uh, sometimes when something's right in front of your face, uh, it's you need to it's you don't need a broadcaster to tell it to you and we've got a pretty we got a pretty uh smart listener base here so kudos to you to everyone out there yeah absolutely uh moose uh at moose in dallas it might be just me but i thought as lindell uh looked like he didn't make the trip to seattle uh what do he and hawk have to do different yeah. to keep up with that fast play seattle's going to bring in game seven well we both feel moose that one of them will be in the lineup, out of the lineup. It'll likely be Hockenpah, and uh, we think Colin Miller can add to that uh, speed on that uh, Seattle blue. Li- sorry, that Stars uh, blue line. Taylor Gross. Uh, okay, Otter has been S all series. I'm more mad about his performances than anything. He needs to step up and make those big saves and be that top of the league goalie. It's an interesting question. I don't think he's been S. Um, on the eve of Mother's Day, I'm just not going to swear because my mom's <laughs> listening. I hope you guys understand. I, swearing is allowed, but my mom yeah. does listen to this podcast, so um, <laughs> uh, I he could be better. I think yeah. that's the best way to to say it, right, Sean? Yeah, he definitely. He needed to be better. He needed to be better tonight. Um, it's. It's been kind of a weird series too, from a goaltending perspective, because it's been such. There's been it's kind of been open, a little bit more open play with. So I don't think his his numbers for this series are completely on him, but I do think there are cases like we talked about earlier in the show where, like that that Cartier goal can't go in. The you, the team needs a save earlier in the game, like all these things where you want to be treated like a true bona fide number one. And I still believe he is. You got to act like it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. And Greg Schnoes at G S C H N O S. uh, What has happened to the goaltending? This is beyond unacceptable. This isn't exactly an all-star team with multiple 50 goal guys on it in Seattle. I want to answer the second part of that, Greg, because we just talked about the net minding. Uh, I don't disagree with you. However, playoff runs, they happen in the NHL. I mean, heck, we're seeing it in the NBA with the Miami Heat, too. 
So they do happen. And teams that might struggle uh, in the regular season with some of the analytics thrive in the playoffs. And two teams, Florida and Seattle, are just on these wonderful runs. And uh, there's some great players being featured for both squads. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's not an all-star team, but in a big but, they did stick around all year long in a tough Pacific division. And I will say, Sean, they're just relentless and they never let up. And while they don't have the same talent as the Stars, there, to me, is something about that that I really admire. Yeah, I have two thoughts on this. One's kind of a, a joke because it is kind of funny because uh, Matty Beneers was supposed to go to the All-Star game but got hurt, and then because of how things were going, Seattle actually didn't get anyone in the All-Star game, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. So it is, actually is truly a team with zero All-Stars. It, it, it's it's the Great only... Uh, but on a serious note, and that, I mean, that was a serious, but on an actual serious note, I do think this Seattle team... Um, it was intentionally built playoff style hockey. I, I, I do think that there was a, I think they looked a lot at the hurricanes. They looked over to Carolina. They look what the success Carolina's had. They looked at some things and I don't think the goal in Seattle was ever to be a team that won. And obviously you want to win every game, but I don't think the goal in Seattle was ever to be regular season Pacific division champions. I think the goal was, let's be a tough playoff team. Let's be a tough playoff out. And I think that's how they were built from the, from the top, from the top down. And um, not everyone builds their NHL team that way. I know some people get ticked off when have been ticked off at Jim Nill's decisions in the past, but Jim to give Jim Nill credit, Jim has always had that ethos of, we want to be a tough playoff out. We want to build that way. Jim doesn't care about the president's trophy. That's not something the Dallas stars care about. Um, that's not something Seattle cares about. So I do think it's, it's to call Seattle. Obviously they're not a team of all stars, but they are a team that was more purpose built for the postseason. And I think we need to acknowledge that just it's it, as a whole. Like, I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged. So uh, Aaron Trebbing at atreb 8 where was the intensity just showed spurts how many times is this team going to get out skated and out hustled we talked about that off the top um it's been happening for five six years Sean yeah, points yeah, out. It's, so i, I just i, I, I mean, don't know it, what to uh, say Aaron. I, I, really I, I, I have nothing else to say about the starts <laughs> i have nothing else to say about the starts nothing else <laughs> all right <laughs> all right by the way so the next uh tweet and thanks so much to my teammate brian brought us um, our afternoon host on 105.3 The Fan. So just a quick side note, Sean, and kudos to Brian and Bobby Bell on 105.3 The Fan. So they just surpassed a million downloads for their Love of the Star uh, podcast. And so I was thinking that you and I should change this to Love of the Stars and we steal <laughs> some of that audience. <laughs> some but, some some mistaken downloads. Some yes, search, searches in the app. And... Absolutely. Yeah, we all <laughs> yes. learn about search yeah. engine optimization, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Brian asked, was the staff too quick on the otter pull? And my opinion, uh, yes, he could have uh, saved 
uh, that goal, but I do think it was too. I, I would have liked to see an otter have the chance to kind of recompose himself. That said, I don't know what other choice DeBoer had to try to get those legs going as well as the energy on this team. Yeah, it's because it's the goalie. The the goalie pull is, in many cases, um, it can sometimes it can be, and sometimes it's for performance reasons. But sometimes it can be the basketball equivalent of the coach getting a tech. Right. Mm-hmm. That that that's sometimes what it can be. Where it's like um, the coach in hockey. I mean. I guess as a coach, you could try and get a penalty and get tossed or whatever you could, but it's, it's not like you have the, the, the basketball setup where you can really literally like basketball coaches can walk right under the ref. They have that they're on the same surface. It's not coaches aren't wearing skates. Yeah. So, so, so sometimes the goalie pull can be the basketball equivalent of a coach getting a tech to fire his team up. And I think sometimes, um, I think this may have been, one of those where it's what else are you going to do? Let's get, get the team going this way. I, I mean, it's, there's different philosophies on different teams. Um, I thought uh, uh, there was a really interesting take during the first round. If you watched any of the games on Sportsnet, uh Red Wings coach, Derek Lalonde was on, was, uh, was doing that was doing some panel work and he, his philosophy on it was he would not pull his goalie in situations like that because he felt like it let the team off the hook because he felt like he felt like it, his philosophy was you pull the goalie. It lets the team off the hook and it gives them a scapegoat as opposed to looking in the mirror themselves. Other coaches will be like, okay, you let your goalie down and we're going to make a change. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of mental motivator factor to figure out. Yeah. I mean, I think it really comes down to what type of team you have and um it's uh i probably i would have i would have probably told if i was the stars and i'm in that spot i probably after the the 4-1 goal by cartier probably tell scott wedgwood to get ready just like start stretching but i'm probably not putting him in yet i'm probably just like be ready if we have to go to you but i'm probably giving it a little bit of time for both the team and the goalie to to revamp themselves and, and and dig out of it as a veteran team and everything like that. Obviously, that didn't happen even with the goalie change. So, but it's I, I, I do think there is a there is a it is a fair question of the timing on that and the quick hook and yeah. everything. And I can see both sides, but I also probably would have. I probably would have waited a little bit myself. I've never seen it, Sean, but I've always wondered this in the playoffs. So you have a top tier goalie like Ottinger, you pull him to gain some momentum. What if the stars came back and they went into overtime? Do you think coaches ever think about putting their number one goaltender back in? I have, uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's, they, they should, honestly, it should be, it's a space where I think coaches should think of that. And I can have, I actually have a good story that actually semi relates to this. I was, um, in my youth hockey career. Um, I think I would have been like, a, I think this is a high, it was a high school. When I was in high school. Um, 
I had a game where my coach really did not like how I handled the puck early in the game. And he, he thought I was very erratic in my puck handling. And he actually pulled me and it was like in like the second period, he pulled me, talked to me. And then at the next whistle, put me back in the game. Like it's, it's, it's not against the rules. You're allowed right. to, you're allowed to do it. It's, it's just like, it's not like it's a baseball pitcher where you pull the guy and then he's done for the game. Yeah. Like you can do it. Like it's, it's very, it's something that, coaches probably should do i mean and honestly like maybe that would have been the spot like like honestly the the goal the 4-1 goal where's and i know it would be people would it's outside the box so it would scare people but maybe play is the 4-1 goal happens you pull ottinger talks to the goalie coach for a couple minutes next 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 whistle he goes back out there that doesn't yeah. change. It doesn't hurt anything. Like, I mean, right. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I just thought of it on the fly. All right. Ashley Norma. Oh, three asks as a newbie hockey fan. I love listening to you all to get the inside scoop. Will they change up the lineup for game seven? Well, first of all, I'm blushing, Ashley. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, you know what? You know what? I, I I'll just say this, and it's a Saturday night, and Sean can sleep in tomorrow. Uh, although it's Mother's Day, yeah. so you really can't, can you? Yeah, you yeah. have to make breakfast or something. I bet. We will. Uh, we'll, we'll put together a nice, uh, nice. nice spread for sp- nice spread for my wife okay. from the kids. Uh, we got uh, we got some we got some uh, we got some art projects done earlier this week that they'll there you that, go. That they'll come in. So nice, yeah. nice, nice. So. I will say this, Ashley, thank you so much. This is like, these are my motivations for doing podcasts like this because I love that you're embracing the game and that we can help you. And Stars fans, if someone's new to the game, I just ask, embrace. Do not say, where have you been? Teach them the great game of hockey because together we can expand this in DFW. So as far as uh, change up the lineup for game seven, yes, Ashley, we've talked about Hawk and Paw in for uh sorry Hockenpah out Colin Miller in would be one lineup change I I'm sure some people will mention it on Twitter but you got to go with Ottinger um in game seven I know that's crazy Sean but people will mention (laughs) it on Twitter you know they will yeah they they will yeah here's one um I don't know who you'd move down but I will say I did appreciate and like Ty Delandria's energy and tenacity tonight and, you know, that fourth line's been good with him on it, but I don't know. Maybe that's something they could uh, juggle the lineup with. I do wonder, and I'm not saying it's the right decision, but I, I do wonder um, just because of who he is as a veteran and how well-liked he is, and uh, even with Kiviranta scoring, even with Kiviranta scoring tonight, I mean, I do wonder if they will, if they'll find a way to get Glenn Denning back into the lineup, just from a perspective of, they really love Glenn Denning's work on, on the faceoffs and everything tonight. And tonight was actually not the, I mean, the typical, typical series has been pretty dominant on faceoffs for Dallas tonight. Delandry, I mean, uh, Foxa was just okay on faceoffs. Um, yet some other, I mean, 
I do wonder if I'm not saying it's the right call, but I'm just if I'm trying to forecast something, I wouldn't be surprised if morning skate happens two days from now and we see Luke Lendenning back in the lineup. Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, e huddle at E huddle asked Liddell and Bob pairing. Why? <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm just reading this. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've, we've talked about it over and over again. Aaron Thacker, Thackman 05, just been trying to understand what is going on with Ottinger. Seems like consistency has been an issue. Well, I think that's a valid point. You know, he has not been his best. Um, we, hopefully we'll see that Jake Ottinger after a loss, like mm-hmm. we saw the other night. Uh, and thank you so much, Aaron, uh, for all your support. Uh, the Fink man laces out Finkel. Jeffrey Fink asks, what in your eyes has Hockenbaugh provided? When we signed him, he was third in the league in hits. Is he just soft now? Or did the Stars system change his style of play? Either way, he's become a complete liability over the last series, and I'd much rather see Nils at this point. That's a really interesting point by Fink because – he was third in hits when the stars signed him. Well, it's, I mean, there's a couple things, right? There's, if you want to, like, we can, I don't think he's soft. That's, no. I, I don't think that's changed. Now, um, he played for, um, I, I think, I think it's important to look at the teams he played for, too. Um, the year before he signed with Dallas, he played with Anaheim and Carolina, two teams that are more physical, not more physical, but hit more by design. We talk, You and I have talked many times on this podcast about how the Hurricanes run people through walls and everything like that. And that's, that's kind of who they are. And Anaheim, even when they've struggled, have always been a team that's been a little bit more physical and everything like that. So I think part of that is, the system changes the where a guy where a guy plays and his system changes. And so I think it's been that that's part of it. Um, I also think his game um, has kind of refined a little bit to the, not the so, so Yanni Hockenpah is an interesting case. Let's let's, I'm going to, I'm going to go on a bit of a weird tangent here, everyone. So I so buckle up. So, He's, I know he's 31. Okay. But he's only, this is only his um, fourth season in the NHL. Remember, he was someone who he was, after he was drafted by the Blues in 2010, spent some time in the AHL, and then went back to Finland for five years and played in Finland. And, um, in Finland, he was physical and everything like that, but he was kind of the the way like Kiviranta was signed by Dallas. He signed with Anaheim as like a as a uh, as a free agent and 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 played a year with the uh, split some time between the NHL and the NHL. But he came over and he tried to. He had those first two years with Anaheim and they had the trade to Carolina. He overly, I think, emphasized to prove he could play a North American game. There was more and more of a, I'm going to be smaller ice. I'm going to hit more. And I think since he came to Dallas, we've seen a little bit more of the 
autocorrection to what he did in Europe, where Europe is a, they still hit in Europe, but it's a less physical game because the ice is bigger. It's more of a puck possession, wait and see type game. And um, I think there's a bit of a natural tendency when a guy comes over from Europe to North America, sometimes they overcorrect to, I'm going to hit a ton because it's my first time over here. I'm trying to prove that I should stick over here after kind of a first failed foray in North America that he had had four or five seasons prior. So I think that comes into play with Hockenpah too, where he is someone who with his history as a guy who started in North America, well started in Europe, obviously he's he's from Finland, but went from Finland. His first foray in North America didn't work, spent some time in Finland kind of overcorrects and then uh, add into that going into a system that is less reliant on driving people through the wall. I think that kind of all plays into it where he's not quote unquote softer. He's just more auto correcting to what Yanni Hockenpah has always been. And, and on top of that is, uh, is, is kind of is playing more of the game. He's deep down asked to play by Dallas where Size is important, but it's more of a the stars like you and I have talked about this Gavin before. The stars have size, but it's more of a deterrent from a visual standpoint than a I'm going to beat you up each night. Yes, yes. The, the Gavin Spittle um, <laughs> wanting them to be more physical just has never happened. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, at Smither Jones, Lindell and Hakapon Ice for yeah. all the cracking goals. <laughs> yeah. Time to move uh, Dodonoff or Johnston to the first line to replace uh, Robertson. I so, actually disagree with that on Robertson yeah. tonight because, like, I thought tonight was as much as um, as much as there's. I've wanted to see more out of Robertson. I mean, first third period tonight, right? Like that line comes out and the puck is an inch to the left yeah. on two situations, a four, four game. And we're talking about, you know what? Maybe we're having a podcast right now where we're talking about a Scott Wedgwood relief victory. Right. Right. Like, so like, I, I, I think Robertson, there's lots of time to talk about what's happened with and without Robertson. I just don't think tonight is the night to pick on 21. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, he did have that point blank uh, chance in front. However, that was a bouncing puck and even the mm-hmm. best um, on bouncing puck sometimes cannot hit it. Yeah. So <laughs> this is kind of a funny one to end with. Uh, IndyCar, Tim, I think the stars are tanking for a 2024 draft pick. That's the only explanation. <laughs> well, as far as 2023 first round draft picks, um, we don't have one. So mm-hmm. therefore, tanking makes no sense this year. All right. So on to Monday night. And uh, I, I mean, sim- is the game plan simplify it and basically forget about game six, get off to a first start, improve on the physicality, the deep four check, create those chances and put a lot of traffic in front of group hour, which I felt as though they finally did in the third period. I think a lot of it is that way. Um, But the one thing I would alter and bring up is I would say this is the opportunity to look back at 
this it's you don't forget tonight. Like I think this is the opportunity for the stars from a stars from a leadership perspective. Um, and this is this would have to come from stars leadership, not from Pete DeBoer. I think this is a perspective, a chance for Jamie Ben and Joe Pavelski to say, look what happened in game six. Look at how we came out. And also look what happened last year in Calgary when we had game seven, where the only reason that game was close is because Ottinger went all world for us with 54, 55 saves, whatever it was. Like, I think this is one of those where it comes from the stars leadership group that you go and you look at the lack of deliverance in this game and the lack of deliverance from the skaters in game seven last year, where you're like, this is the, this is the spot where we change the narrative. This is the spot where we take a step and that's why so that's why i it's not a this one is i think for a lot of other things part of the game that's flush it and move on but there's also I, th- I think that's an important element for this group i think you need to take the proper motivation from this and bring it into monday okay so kind of gonna do it but i did want to end on a happy note just like we started with a happy note so happy mother's day to all those moms out there and happy mom's day even if you don't have kiddos to the pet moms out there (laughs) so kudos on that or you know listen if you care for something happy mother's day so i want to say happy mother's day to mom spittle who would take me to games and would be on her feet before me yelling when fights would break out (laughs) so massive stick tap to mom spittle who by the way is from england yet somehow loved the great game of hockey. Um, So it was a family outing when we would go to NHL games. So I remember seeing the Minnesota North Stars, in fact, and and, uh, I'll never forget watching Bobby Smith on the ice and how big he was. And then, you know, the Bruins got Mike Krushaliski, and he was big too. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. And being able to grow up with Raymond Bork has uh, just been, uh, you know, really influenced me as far as the great game. So I say all that to say, there's Sean Shapiro with <laughs> Sean Shapiro's mom taking him to the rink as a young goalie. And then Sean Shapiro's wife, mm-hmm. who deals with Sean Shapiro, the <laughs> hockey genius, who has all the podcasts, writing books, and everything you do. So, yeah, it's want to take a moment. I will, I will. Yeah. It's uh, one of the things, one of the great things that I'll always remember is uh, if, it's with that my mom would do it. Obviously there's, there's so many of the other things about like driving you to the rink and everything like that. But um, just being uh, my mom would always keep a, uh, she would count shots. And so after each game, there would be the, uh, I would on the ride home, she would have a napkin that she got from the snack bar and the pen. And she would, uh, she, she would count the shots from the game. It was, it was always such a, cause like you're a kid and no one counts that accurately. Yeah. Right. And so you're like, you felt good about it. And it was, uh, and then there would also be little notes about like various, ver- about various saves and about how close you were on maybe the one that went in sometimes. <laughs> too. So it was good. And then obviously my wife is a, my wife, Christina is a, it's a, amazing mom to our kids and everything like that and give her a ton of credit for everything she does and uh is uh and really is the rock star that makes us all all everything makes the world go around so (laughs) that is awesome so the texas stars have even the series in milwaukee 
Um, so best out of five, it is mm-hmm. one, one now. And, uh, that leads us to the Sean Shapiro book. We win here, um, which has some terrific stories forward by Curtis McKenzie tells the story of Jack Campbell. And would we have a Jake Ottinger, um, if things had worked out differently. So some really cool stories. So, um, if your mother's a big hockey fan, that would be a great late last minute gift. Uh, but I will say father's day is right around the corner. Don't forget about the dads right around the corner. So get yourself a book called we win here by Sean Shapiro. It's always great to support him for all he does for us. Dallas stars fans. Appreciate the plug Gavin. And uh, once again, everyone uh, will, we'll be talking Monday after it's the best thing in sports, Game 7. Yes, yes, and this is how much I care about you folks. Tonight the text came in with my tickets. Are we going to the game? And I wrote back, have to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're wondering, Spitz and Suds fans, I love you all. <laughs> I'll be I'll be cheering, but have to grab that microphone right after um, to be here with Sean, and I wouldn't want it any other way. So that's going to do it, and uh, we hope you can listen to this and get a preview for Game 7, and then we will talk to you after the game. Win or lose, it's Spits and Suds. Please tell all your friends that there's a cool podcast talking Dallas Stars hockey. It's right here on 105.3 The Fan. Have a great weekend, everybody.